God bless guys uh, and welcome to another episode of Research Podcast and what I hope to do with this episode is essentially begin what, what might be called I guess maybe a mini-series on the doctrine of grace. Uh, I think it's something that we need to uh, have a firm grip on and so this won't be your traditional preaching message that we generally do with our, with our research podcast or that we've done thus far, but it's going to be more of a Bible study uh, than anything else. And so as we search the scriptures, we're going to be drawing out from the Word of God and see what it teaches on a particular doctrine. Um, and so I hope to do that with this podcast. And so this is going to be something different from the usual um, and see how we go. And hopefully God will bless it and this will be an ongoing thing, something that we can uh, kind of come back to and reaffirm our faith with. So essentially what I want to do with this is go through scripture and see how we have come about in believing these doctrines. So where, where do these come from? Where do these teachings come from? And so kind of like going through scripture and picking out all these verses and seeing how or what they teach concerning this particular topic and see where it stems from. And so I'll do my best to explain them throughout. And so that's what I hope to do with this podcast. And I hope that you do join me in this, uh, in this journey and see how God blesses us. So again, so the purpose of this series is really to kind of lay down a basic foundation of these fundamental doctrines of our faith that we could kind of refer back to. It has been my desire to do something like this with you all, but it, we've never been able to accomplish it for one reason or another. So through our podcast channel, we have this ability to do so for us to kind of study the word of God together, even though we may not be physically together. So I'm really excited about this. So with that being said, I imagine that most of you will be listening to this podcast on the go, maybe on your travels while you're driving or in public transport or what have you. But may I encourage you to take the time to really focus in and, and if possible, physically open up your Bibles as we go through this podcast, as you listen in to this podcast, um, whether it be on your devices or if you carry an actual Bible with you, you know, God bless you. That's awesome. Nothing like seeing someone physically open up the scriptures it's 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 quite uh, a powerful image um but simply for the for the simple reason that i want you to kind of see with your eyes like your own eyes the truth of these doctrines i want you to see them in the scriptures i think that is so important that you see them in the actual scriptures and it isn't just something that you're listening to on you know on your podcast or whatever and, and you're just receiving but i want you to actually do the study with me so that's what i hope to do with this and so on this episode we will be considering the doctrine of man that's what we're going to be focusing that is the nature of man who lives outside of christ that's essentially what we're going to be looking at focusing on man who isn't a believer which is was everyone right so only by the grace of God that we've been saved. And so, in other words, the state of man that lies before being converted or being born again or regenerated or, or transformed or however you want to put it. Essentially, what we will be looking at um, is 
is man from God's perspective, found within God's word. So what's God's opinion of man who is not in Christ? That's essentially what we're going to be uh, focusing on in this episode. And I will be dividing this podcast into two sections at least for now um, before we move on to the next doctrine or, or subject that we're going to be looking at. But that's what I want to do. And this is such an important thing that I want to emphasize and make clear that we start with this, that we establish this truth first, that we begin to see that this doctrine really kind of sets in motion the rest of Scripture and Scripture becomes a lot more clearer when we have a good grasp of this doctrine in, in terms of you know what is man or, or the state that man lies in and so we we uh, we all have an opinion of ourselves generally speaking we perceive ourselves you know to be really good people we we think of mankind as generally good good people i think uh, the most common feedback you get if if you were to ask them do you think you're going to go to heaven the majority of people say yeah i think i'm going to go to heaven because i think i'm a good person and they turn that around and make it look at god would be terrible if if god wouldn't accept me you know that's general the general consensus right in terms of how they view humanity that we think we're generally good or at least they're very optimistic in the sense that we, we can be good we all have an opinion of ourselves you know like i said generally speaking we have this perception that we are basically good and that's the basic worldview of man but what's important to us what's important to our salvation is to consider and believe what god reveals to us through his word about how we stand in his sight that is what is most important to us that is what we need to grasp. That is what we need to come to terms with, with that reality. Not in the one that we have in our own heads or what society depicts for us, but what does God say? And so today we will meditate on the state of man. You know, and then I believe we might look at the doctrine of regeneration and then on to maybe justification and then sanctification. And then maybe we'll end up with an overview of God's grace. Um, over over man in terms of salvation but to begin with we will open up scripture to a portion that we won't deal with in a general way that we usually do uh, that is you know to go through it in, in a kind of expository preaching manner instead we will use this text that we're going to read today um, as kind of a launching pad as we jump off from this this portion of scripture and then jump into the next text into the next text highlighting verses scattered throughout all of the scriptures that teach on this very subject so that text for us today that text for us today is found in ephesians chapter 2 and we're going to read verses 1 to 10 a lengthy portion but one that speaks so clearly in terms of of man's spiritual state um, so let's just get straight to it and so ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 10 and if you have your bibles follow with me ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 10 it says this and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is, not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not that results, not a results of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Praise God. So that is the portion that we will be returning back to but for now we're just gonna leave that there and we're gonna jump through passage by passage um, and see what God has to say in terms of the nature of man and just to kind of give you a basic outline for you to follow with let me share with you the structure that I, I'll be working with so as to kind of assist you through what I'm, I'm trying to, to put across um, so firstly, what I want to establish is the condition of man as stated in Scripture. So what does Scripture say about man's condition outside of Christ? And, and just kind of say that out clear and simple. Then secondly, I want to kind of unpack that throughout Scripture and, and see just how the apostles may have come to this concerning the nature of man. And thirdly, I want to kind of show you that this is not just the New Testament theology, but a biblical teaching overall. And I'll do that by isolating, as I said, verses from the Old Testament and see what the scriptures say in the Old Testament, and which is where I'm going to kind of spend most of my time on in this occasion, and then kind of move into the New Testament teachings of the apostles and then the teaching of Jesus. So kind of wrap this up in terms of what does scripture teach as a whole on this subject. So that's what I hope to do. Uh, look at the Old Testament teachings, look at the New Testament teachings of the apostles, and kind of make sure that you know the last nail um, would be the teachings of Christ. And so we're going to look at Jesus, that Jesus isn't indifferent to, to the apostles or anything else. That so you see that Jesus affirms this teaching to be true. So when we read this text, I think that it's, it's pretty clear as to what it teaches concerning the nature of man or the condition that he's in outside of Christ. So anyone who isn't of the faith, anyone who isn't a Christian, lies in this condition, remains in this condition until there is a work that occurs in his life. And the way Paul writes, Paul empathetically says really clearly and explicit that they or we referring to the believer, right? We were dead, were in past tense. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
And it is this word that so many people dread or hate to hear, that word dead. This is how Paul describes us in this text. But though it is plain and simple, we need to kind of delve into it a little bit deeper so as to reaffirm ourselves that this teaching is taught throughout all of Scripture. But that is essentially what Paul says. He describes the condition as being dead. That's such a common phrase that we use in Scripture, in the Christian faith, that we were once spiritually dead and then God quickened us or woke, woke us up from, from that inanimate state. Um, and a lot of people don't kind of like that teaching, but it's important that we see that this comes from Scripture and this is what the Word of God um, teaches us. And so I think I need to clarify from the outskirts of the episode that this is the foundation on which we all, uh, or on which all other doctrines build up from. This teaching is one of those avenues that the Protestants kind of walked through uh, when they separated from from Catholicism and, and Orthodox churches, this is one of those those paths that that kind of lead us in a different direction. That our understanding of the nature of man lays groundwork for later doctrines. You know, referring back to this, this is that doctrine that kind of sets things in motion. For us for our theological understanding of scripture and so it is a teaching that we if we do not get this this first step right it can lead us into confusion about salvation as a whole and how we stand before god now even as believers and so it's important that we affirm this this teaching so is this teaching found in scripture that's essentially what I want to look at. Like this idea of being spiritually dead, this idea of being unable to do certain things that is required for our salvation. Right? That man overall is actually dead. Is, is this what scripture depicts for us? And in short, the answer is yes. I suggest to you that this is not a Pauline theology, it's not a, a Paul teaching, nor is it just a New Testament theology where the apostles just kind of made this up. Um, but it's rather something that is found throughout all of Scripture. And I'll do my best to demonstrate this as we travel through Scripture and see uh, that this is something that the scriptures teach very clearly. I want to bring to the foreground certain texts that may have laid dormant, but by the grace of God, through through the Apostle Paul and all the apostles, um, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they were illuminated, as it were, uh, to see the reality of man's true condition before God. So before we do that, however, I want to remind you that the verse we are about to consider are verses that have been there all along. Like they're in the Old Testament. They've been there for thousands of years, right? Years and years. And so it isn't until after the fall of the Holy Spirit that the apostles' eyes were open to the truth, to this reality that we're about to meditate on. You know, think back to the early stages of the disciples' life when Christ was still with them. They were but babies in their walk with God. So much so that when Jesus would share with them his need to die on the cross, the apostles, you know, especially Peter, were reluctant to that teaching. They were 
bluntly against that. They were willing to lay down their own lives for it, right? They were willing to hold him back from, from committing this. Jesus would affirm with them that it was necessary for him to go because if he did not go, then the Holy Spirit would not come. And he emphasized their need, their need for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He says, I need to go so that the, the counselor and the other helper may come. You know, you see in John 14, 26, we're told that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. You see that in, in John there, Jesus expresses the necessity and the function that the Holy Spirit will serve in the lives of these apostles. And this is such an important verse because we see that, the, that there's a drastic change or effect that the Holy Spirit had in the lives of the apostles after Pentecost. The difference didn't lie in their ability to preach. The difference doesn't lie in, in that gave them the capability to preach more influentially, more charismatically, that they were more engaging. Yeah, the, that wasn't the power that the Holy Spirit invested into the lives of the apostles. The, the apostles, the difference lies in the truth that they preached. At one stage, they were ignorant of the truth. Now they know the truth and now they preach the truth. And so that was the difference. You know, Paul was clearly filled by the Spirit of God. We know that, right? Clearly, he would have to have been filled with the with the Holy Spirit. And yet he says of himself that he would preach with fear and trembling. So it isn't a power to preach perfectly, but rather the awareness of the truth that set them apart. That gave them that power. Because they were teaching truths that man in all of history had never come to that realization. Because they were unable to see or perceive this truth. But by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, this was revealed to the apostles as they went back into Scripture and they began to kind of see for themselves. And so it was after the fall of the Holy Spirit and the revelation that God gave them of this truth, they began to see, uh, these apostles began to see essentially what Scripture had to say about these this doctrine about this the state of man they began to discover what scripture taught concerning man and so the new testament is kind of in a way uh kind of in a way it serves as a almost a commentary on the old testament that those passages or or texts that were at one stage obscure or laid dormant became clear and alive in the hearts of the apostles and so the teaching that we find in the New Testament really finds its roots in the Old Testament to which we will turn to in our study now. But before we lift up these verses out from the Scriptures, first allow me to do two things. Remind you that this is indeed God's Word and what it says is true. And secondly, allow me to inform you of how I hope to kind of structure these texts, if you would how I'm going to present them to you. So firstly, we will consider this deadness and uh, this dead state or this 
spiritual deadness, however you want to phrase it, and, and how it affects us from, from, the, from the beginning, from the get-go. And there's two ways that I want to highlight for you that, that I see Scripture depict for us or reveal to us. And it is firstly that it affects our thinking capability or capacity and then how it affects our heart condition. So, so this deadness, this sin, corruption, it affects our heart and it affects our mind. Um, and then we'll, be, we'll end by considering what Jesus says of all these texts in his teaching. So let's get straight to it and, and again open up your Bibles if you have them with you or turn to however you want to do it to Psalms 94 verse 11 as we read along um, uh, again I, I really want to emphasize that that I would love for you to read this with me so that you you see this with your eyes that this is what scripture says and so Psalms 94 11 says this the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath so just to remind you of what our goal here is it is to determine what Paul meant when he said that man outside of Christ is essentially dead. That's what we're trying to do. That's what I'm trying to establish. So this dead nature, as this verse explains, affects the mind of man. Of man. Uh, our capacity to, I guess, reach beyond a certain level. We, are, we have been restricted in a, in a sense. But what I want to highlight for you firstly is that the psalmist is actually giving us kind of an evaluation from God's part. That God is evaluating um, man's capacity to think. That it is God who looks at man and sees, okay, who here... You know, kind of like when you do at school, who here, put your hands up, can, you know, and you would ask your question. It's almost like that, having a survey, doing a survey on mankind. And so God is evaluating the mind of man. And so the Psalms, Psalmist says, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. And we see here that God is the one who is in the judgment seat here, evaluating the mind of man in general, like at large, every single one. And what is his verdict? Well, the word says that man's thoughts are but a breath. That's his conclusive thought or statement. After evaluating, after giving this survey, he concludes that man's thoughts are but a breath. Now, in the ESV, the translation may, may sound a little strange to our ears, but what that word simply means is vanity. The original word there is habel, uh, which is an unusual term, but literally means, or it has been translated elsewhere to mean, you know, breath or vapor. But the idea that it is trying to convey to us is that our thoughts amount to vanity. That is, that our thoughts become self-centered. It, it circles around our, ourselves. They're vain thoughts. But more to the point, they are, they are empty. They are void of any real substance. All we can really think of is ourselves. And as such, we cannot perceive God as He ought to be 
because we regard ourselves way more higher than we really should. So that's essentially the, the mental capacity of man abroad in general. Every single person who has ever lived and ever will live reach a certain point that they cannot exceed beyond that. They are selfish, they enjoy it, or they think upon is themselves. And so this deadness affects, therefore, our thinking process, and it runs almost in, in, in circles. It, it circles solely around ourselves. It, it creates in us this inability of reaching out beyond that restricted limit. They are thus our thoughts uh, are vain and empty of God. That's the general overview state of man's condition. Another passage that depicts for us this nature of man that is outside of Christ is found in another Psalms, in Psalms 14. And we'll read verses 2 to 3. So Psalms 14, verse 2 to 3. And it says this, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Again, what we find here in this psalm is that God is once again placing man under his judgment or evaluation. And what he's looking for is if there is anyone who understands. Now, what I want to highlight for you firstly is that God is the one that is assessing the children of man. Now, in the original Hebrew, the word for man is actually Adam. And that is to say that God is assess assessing all of those who have come from Adam, which is all of mankind. We've all come from Adam. So why is this important to draw our attention to? Because it informs us that not one person is exempt from this evaluation that he is about to give. So this verdict that he's about to share with us applies to every single human being ever born. And that is the way that God views all of mankind all fall under this same critique. We look at the critique itself now. And as we, we have been looking, the effect of the, this dead state of mankind is that their thinking capacity is not as free as we like to think. He says that he says that as he looks around the whole of the earth, he is looking for a particular attribute or quality commendable by God in man, and that is his capability to understand. And that word in the Hebrew has been translated in different ways, in different texts, in different portions, to mean uh, prudent wise, intelligent, skillful, or having understanding. Again, dealing with the, the, the capability or the capacity to think or think clearly or think soberly. But the writer does not end there to clarify as to what exactly he means by having wisdom or understanding. He explains it further by adding one who seeks after God. This then becomes his definition of what he considers wisdom or skillfulness or true wisdom. In short, 
God is looking to see if there is anyone on earth who is seeking after him. He considers this to be truly wise. If, if you start to seek God, you are wise. And so what's the verdict? Well, verse 3 answers that question by saying that instead of seeking after him, all have turned aside from him. All are corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So this is actually quoted by Paul in his epistle to the Romans, where Paul labors for three chapters explaining the failure of man that this psalmist teaches or lays down in these, these two verses, that we are evil and do not seek after God. So this is one of the ways we can describe the effect of Paul when he refers to in Ephesians 2 as man being dead in our trespasses and sins. But let's consider another human faculty that is affected by this human condition that we are all under before conversion. Let us consider what scripture refers to as the heart. The heart is considered the part of the human that may control one's desires and affections. Though scripture treats the mind and heart almost identical, as though they are, there's no difference, and, and some treat it as such that it, there is actually no difference between the mind and the heart, um, that the Jewish people viewed them as the same thing. Um, I would treat them as though they are separate, and whether you consider them to be two different faculties, I will leave that up to you, or if you see them as just one. Either way, uh, just for argument's sake, I will treat them separately. But turn with me now to one of the more famous verses dealing with such an issue. And it's one that I'm sure we've all come across, we're all familiar with. And that's in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, in which it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Jeremiah 17 9. I'll say that again. I'll read it again to you because it's such uh, an important verse. This verse is so important. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We first dealt with the mind. Now we see scripture deal with the heart of man. And what scripture says of it is super clear. There are two descriptions that are given concerning the heart of man. And the first is that it is deceitful above all things things. And the second description is that it is desperately sick. Have you ever heard the saying, just follow your heart? <laughs> like they generally give this advice for every single dilemma that we face. Like that's the, the go-to advice that everyone gives. Just follow your heart. Well, scripture tells you not to do that. Don't follow your heart. The heart is not the best way to measure your situation or whatever you may be going through. In fact, it says it just isn't the best. It's actually the worst thing you can use. That is because the heart has been affected by the corrupting power of sin as well. It's not just your mind. It's your heart. From birth, it no longer serves in the way it ought to for its desires have now been compromised 
and serve only to gratify its sinful nature. And so it will lie to you. It will tell you what you want to hear so long as you continue feeding its, its sinful lusts. So it's deceitful. It deceives you for the purpose of fulfilling its sinful desires. It will trick you. And how does scripture de describe these desires? As being desperately sick. Not only is the condition of your heart desperately sick, but the actions that come from that heart are desperately sick. And now that word there in the Hebrew speaks of an incurable sickness. And that is to say that there will never be a day where therapy will mend it. There will never be a day or no amount of ethical teaching that will correct it. There's nothing that that is outside of God that is going to uh, correct or assist or, or lead you in healing your heart. Nothing. Not a better upbringing. Not changing your circumstances. Not having more money. Not having less money. Not being more charitable. Not, you know, whatever it is, you know, that people tell you that this is going to help you. None of that. It's incurable. It will continue on its path of destruction to the very end. And that this sickness is not just referring to a, a, a sick condition like cancer, but also its deeds as being sickening. Maybe you have seen someone who has done such a grotesque thing, uh, such a grotesque action that your response is to feel sick to the stomach or have responded by saying it's sickening what you have done and this is the response of God towards anyone who thinks that they could come to him as a so-called good person or having a good heart because he knows otherwise another verse that speaks about the heart condition of man before Christ is found in Genesis 8.21 in which it states this Genesis 8.21 for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth two things I want to point out here at this point firstly he is not teaching that man becomes evil from a young age but it is more of an an observation than anything that we can all kind of acknowledge, we can all observe, that it becomes very evident that as children develop and grow, their sins that they are most drawn to become more and more apparent. It's not teaching that there's a certain age from which you now become a sinner and then that you're, that's it, you know, you're kind of lost. It's not saying that, it's not teaching that it's just these things become apparent as you get older right it, uh, there's this argument in society you know is that nurture or nature um, the scripture is very clear it is nature it is not nurture you are not taught to be evil you grow up in that evilness and you all you do is just develop it we only have to think upon our own lives and just see how those sins in our lives became more and more tempting to us. Sins that may not be tempting to your peers, but are very strong in your heart. 
and they deepen and develop with time as we get older and and and, and grow in 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 age and, and what have you we either become masters of masking them or we become shameless and expose them and live in them but either way the reality is that we live with these sins because we like them it is in our nature we are drawn to them we love them we practice them but how are these desires deemed by god how does he describe them as being purely evil your heart is deceitful your heart is sick and your heart is evil and does not Jesus teach this also when he says in Matthew 15:18 in where Jesus makes clear that man what makes man defile is not what he eats but rather what comes out from his mouth for what comes out from there comes from the heart in other words it is the heart that is defiled and that is why we do such evil deeds elsewhere Jesus says that a bad tree bears bad fruit Matthew 7:18 and that is to say that it is incapable of producing good fruit like a, a bad tree is just simply incapable of producing good fruit for its core for its it's in his DNA it is already set it's already corrupted and thus it will produce corrupted evil fruit the problem is his nature not his deeds man's deeds are but the byproduct of his nature he only does what he is already and that is sinful and that is why we do sinful things or practice sin because that is what we are fundamentally that is our nature all right i want to leave it there for now for i think uh, uh, we have uh, sufficient evidence as to what scripture means by when it refers to us being dead in our trespasses and sins so to finish up let's consider what we have looked at today we have reflected on how this dead nature of man has been affected or corrupted this dead nature this corrupt nature has affected our thinking process and that is by restricting it from ever serving its primal or original purpose and that is to seek god with it we don't do that instead we think vain thoughts equally affected is our desires and motives that govern our heart this faculty that should be governing our lives with truth instead it deceives us instead of being the healthy moral guide it is incurably sick and instead of producing good fruits it produces evil continually and so this is about a starting point for us so come back next time as we see how the apostle takes the old testament teaching and expands on it giving us a more fuller explanation of this condition of man and we will continue to see that this too 
was taught of Christ in his teaching. So that's what we'll look at in the next podcast. Um, we're going to see that Christ was not indifferent to the teachings of the apostle, but rather he planted that seed for them to develop further in their epistles. So let's close up in prayer. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to do this study and reflect upon your word. Father, I pray that as we reflect upon the condition of man, that we would also take time to reflect upon our own hearts and see that what you say in Scripture is true of us. We don't need to point the finger on someone else and say, I see that in them. What matters is that we see it in ourselves. And Father, this is that starting point, recognizing that we are sinners, that we would be not like the Pharisee, but the sinner in the synagogue beating against his chest. That we see and recognize that this is the reality. And as we return back to this theme in the next podcast, I pray that you bless us through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.